Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Thank you. Well, it's good to be back, everybody. Thank you for not leaving when he said I was preaching again. Uh, that means a lot to me uh, that you stayed seated at least until I close my eyes to pray. Um, it is no, it is really good to be here again. I love midweek. This is one of my favorite times during the week. Uh, and, and like Pastor Dave said, it is a timely time to talk about reaching people. Um, what would you do if you were a missionary? It's a question I asked last week um, in kind of our conversation about reaching the world, reaching the world around you specifically in our call to be missional people, people who live on mission. But what would you do differently if you were a missionary? How would that impact the way you walked into a coffee shop or the way you went in your workplace? If, if you had been sent by a church or an organization and dropped into Nashville, dropped into your context with the sole purpose uh, of living as a missionary, what would you do differently? A missionary is someone who's on mission. And in our context, in the Christian context, our mission is to expand the family of God what would you do differently if you were a missionary? If our mission is to expand the family of God, we know that the family of God is only expanded and people only come into it by believing in Jesus and making a faith declaration that he's gonna be the Lord and Savior of Jesus Christ, or of their life, rather. And it says in Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So if our mission is to reach people and expand the family of God, and the way that someone it comes into the family of God is believing, and the way that they believe is by someone preaching to them, and we already said, okay, I'll be a missionary, the further you follow that logic, the, the, the closer it gets to our comfort zone. Right, and the further you follow that logic, the closer you need to come to the conclusion that there actually may be a time that we actually need to use actual words with actual people to talk about the actual gospel. Like that there actually will be a time that you need to not just, uh, you know, the, the ancient quote that's been attributed to a lot of people, preach the gospel always and when necessary use words. There is a when necessary there is a time that you're going to have to use words and, and before, you know, your, your blood pressure goes up and before uh, the, the low-grade anxiety sets in, um, I, I really do think that Jesus has some things to say about this and it's actually part of his plan. I love it, it says in Ephesians 2 about how he has good works laid out for you in advance, that Jesus already has a plan uh, for you and for evangelism. Uh, and it's really interesting to me when we think about evangelism because there are only two types types of people in the entire world. Only two types. People you know and people you don't know. Profound, right? 
There are people you know, and there are people you don't know. And when it comes to evangelism, a lot of times uh, we're hesitant to share the gospel with people we know because we don't want to risk the relationship. But then we're hesitant to preach the gospel with people we don't know because you don't talk to strangers. So we find ourselves in this tension of, I know I'm supposed to preach the gospel to hypothetical people, but there's only two types of people, people I know, and I don't want to risk that relationship, and there's people I don't know, and I don't want to talk to strangers, so what do we do? Well, we find ourselves, Bethel World Outreach Church, in a unique moment in time that we're just four days away from our fall festival where we are going to have a ton of people that you don't know probably here on the grounds, which in some form or fashion, their feet have decided, I'm open to some level of this message of Jesus. If not, uh, unless it might just be walking by a church, but I've opened at some point to this message of Jesus even a little bit. And, and we as a church have an opportunity to have our community here on our property. And we get to practice talking to people we don't maybe know. And I think as it comes to this moment, when we think about them as strangers, it instantly puts this gap between us. I I would actually recommend, just for the sake of our conversation tonight, let's remind ourselves that on Sunday night, we're going to have hundreds of image bearers of God We're going to have hundreds of humans here that the Father desperately wants to have in his family. That we're not having unique, strange individuals on our property, but we together are going to gather at God's house where God's redeemed children and God's children who have yet to be redeemed can come together in union and and celebrate our creator. And when we talk about evangelism, often when I fail at participating in evangelism, it's for the same reason that I failed my driving test the first time I took it. Let's pray. Jesus, be with us. God, help us get your heart. We know you love Brentwood, you love Nashville way more than we do. So help us tap into your heart tonight and in the days to come so that we can look, live, and love like you, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Speaking of high school, I ran track and cross country in high school, and I hated, I loathed, I despised the 800-meter dash. I hated it. I ran cross country, which is 5K and above. That's about three and a half miles and above. And then I ran track, and so uh, I was pretty decent. I'm not saying I was great, but I was decent at the 400, which is just one lap. Because uh, you just run fast. You just, go, you just go and then it's done, right? You just, I can do it 400 meters. Then you have like cross country, which I really, really enjoyed. That was my preferred thing because you just run and you settle into it and then eventually you, you sprint a little bit and it's over. Um, and, and so I knew how to do this and I knew how to do that. But in the middle, there was the, the, just the, the God forsaken 800 meter dash. Because I didn't know how to treat it. I didn't know if I should treat it like a sprint or treat it like a run. And and I think that when it comes to evangelism, so many of us are are, are kind of turned off by it or want to, you know, touch it with a 10-foot pole because we don't know how to treat it. We say, is this a sprint? Do I just show up downtown and I get on a box with a megaphone and I just get to the gospel as quick as I can? They say yes or they say no and then I say next. 
Or is it more like a 5K or 10K? We just do life together. We just hang out. You know, I'm just, I'm just building rapport. We're just building relationship. And I think that sometimes when you treat it like a sprint, you lose people. And when you treat it like a marathon or like even a 5K or 10K, you never get around to sharing the actual gospel. Now, because I would have an ethical dilemma just in my own soul in comparing evangelism to the 800-meter dash. I don't think I could do that in good conscience for how much I hate the 800-meter dash. I think I, uh, there's got to be a a fourth way. It it can't be the 800-meter dash. It can't be a sprint, and it can't be a 10K. I would say it's a little bit more like a mile. Now, mile, uh, I, I liked cross-country better than I liked the, uh, the track, but I was a long-distance guy, so they put me in the mile. And the mile is just four simple laps. And each lap has a really specific purpose. And I think for the, the sake of our conversation tonight, uh, it really provides a great parallel for this four-step technique that, that we're going to kind of wrap this message around. If it's okay, it's going to be a little more teachy, a little less preachy. Uh, it's going to be a little bit more training uh, because uh, if you want to go back and listen to part one, a lot about the why, uh, this can be a little bit more about the what because it's this amazing technique that Pastor Rice uh, had kind of presented years and years ago that's uh, been the basis for evangelism in this house for a long time. And it's a simple acronym. The acronym is SALT. We're called to be salt and light to the world. And so it only makes sense. SALT, and it stands for this, start a conversation ask questions, listen, then tell the story. Start a conversation, ask questions, listen, and tell the story. And before we get into this, I need just two quick disclaimers. We're about to talk about doing stuff. And whenever you talk about doing stuff, it needs the asterisk that Jesus doesn't love you more because you do stuff for him. That Jesus doesn't go, okay, now you're a faithful disciple. Oh, now you're finally living up to your potential. Oh, now I just, you know, I loved you a lot. Now I love you a little bit more. The gospel actually proves the the exact opposite. That it's not about how much stuff we do for Jesus, that now he's impressed by us, and then we got, you know, a a mansion instead of it being 10,000 square feet, now it's 20,000 square feet in heaven, wherever you got that weird theology, it's just not true. Jesus doesn't love you more because you do stuff for him. He loves you because you're inherently valuable to him and because he redeemed you by his love that was completely sacrificial with you being able to offer nothing. He offered everything. And so now we're redeemed children of God. So he doesn't love you more because you do more stuff. So let's just take that out of the equation that we do things because we're loved, not so that we can become loved. Second, This is a strategy, not a formula. This is a strategy that when we come into gospel conversations, we can use this strategy, but uh, people are people, not numbers. They're not, uh, it's not algebra. It's not just plug this in and then someone's going to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. But this is more a mindset that we can approach conversations with that has actually been proven pretty effective in leading people in that conversation or to that finish line of faith. But it's not a formula because people are 
people. And so uh, with those two disclaimers, let's just hop into lap one of your 1600 meter uh, race or, or, or the mile. The first lap of the 1600, you're also going to learn how to run a mile in the middle of this. So you're welcome for that. 1600, the first thing you're trying to do is find your footing and sensing the tone for your event. So the first thing you want to do, you know, you get on, uh, on your starting line, they, they go, you know, they fire the gun. And then the first thing you want to do is get a good pace. And you want to find where you're going to kind of land uh, in the, the, the rest of this race, as well as just get a tone for what kind of race we're running. Is this going to be a dog-eat-dog, scrappy, you know, fight to the finish? Is this going to be something where we're all just kind of going for our best PR? Get the tone for the race and how this relates to uh, starting a conversation. Uh, I love Jesus ex uh, exemplifying this in John 4, verse 7. This is the woman at the well. And it says, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman uh, I'm sorry, I lost my place. Uh, Jesus said, would you give me a, a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. The story goes on and on and on. But I want to point out what Jesus did. There's a shared experience that the two of them had. And he pointed that out so they could connect on something because uh, a great conversation starter starts with uh, pointing out a shared experience and wondering about it. So there's a shared experience. Uh, first you notice and then you wonder. He said, okay, here's uh, this water well. Can you please give me a drink? With lost people, with the lost, Jesus started a lot more conversations than he did confrontations. With the lost, Jesus started a lot more conversations than he started confrontations. The confrontations that he started were usually with people who knew better. Amen. Hypocrites, Pharisees, sometimes his disciples. So th those were the, okay, hey, we got to get this in line. But with people who were lost, lost children of God or, or people who were even outside of uh, what they would call the family of God at that time, he was a lot more conversations, not confrontations. And this is where uh, I, I do not want to bash people who have megaphones uh, I, or, you know, are, are on the, the street. I believe that they are doing what they believe God called them to do. I think for the most part they are, are, are good people just trying to do the right thing. But uh, a lot of times that's where this can go wrong because they want to lead with confrontation. And yes, Jesus confronted people uh, who knew better and, and were living wrong, but he started conversations with people who were outside of the kingdom of God. And when we come into a gospel conversation, I think it's so important that we have that framework in mind. It's a conversation, not a confrontation. Because in this start a conversation section, immediately, especially if you're talking to someone you don't know, they're trying to gauge your intentions. Their radar is up because one, there's the shock of this stranger is talking to me. And so a few things go through their mind. Are they trying to sell me something? Are they trying to uh, kind of bring me into a multi-level marketing situation? Are they trying to flirt with me? You know, what, what is this person's agenda? And, and so here's just such an important thing uh, for us here is to get in our system genuinely that who I'm looking at is not a project to be fixed or a problem to be solved. That I'm not here standing in front of a project or a problem, I'm standing in front of a person. 
And when we shift that mindset, uh, then our agenda actually becomes not problem or project oriented, but person oriented that I have in front of me. Again, an image bearer of God who just has yet to hear the good news of Jesus in a way that they understand and can resonate with. I'm not standing in front of a project or a problem. I'm standing in front of a person. And when we do that, when we realize that it's a son or a daughter of the king, uh, all we're doing, we're not trying to coerce them into something. We're just believing God to help them uh, return home and to use us to be part of it. So when we're starting a conversation and their antennas are going up saying, what's this person's intention? What are they trying to get from me? What are they trying to do to me? Uh, When we actually can come prepared, realizing I'm not here to sell them Jesus. I'm not here to make a Shark Tank pitch on why you should be a Christian. The 10 steps to making your life better uh, by just following Jesus. No, I'm here because I actually want to get to know you. Because I actually care about you because Jesus cares about you. Ironically, the best way to accomplish your agenda is to drop your agenda. If your agenda is to get them across the finish line of faith and to get them to make a decision, then the best way, ironically, to do that is to drop your agenda and make it about then because when you have this conversation with someone, you gain an empathy that the only resolution to that is the gospel. But it doesn't happen when there are a problem to be solved or a project to be fixed. So I wanted to practice this over the last week as we've sort of been thinking about this and talking about this because I was saying I'm not going to go preach a message about talking to strangers and not talk to strangers. And so I challenged myself last week. I said I'm going to talk to a different stranger every day. Between now and next Wednesday, I'm going to talk every day. And I will confess I missed a day because we just stayed home and I know everyone that lives in my house. And so uh, we, uh, I decided I'm going to talk to a stranger every single day. And I used some of these ideas that I found because I, before I, I went out, I wanted to just kind of read some articles, learn about, you know, some ways to talk to strangers that are really good. And I found this article that was really, really helpful. And I have a screenshot of it just in case uh, you wanted to, to take it down. It's called How to Become a Master at Talking to Strangers. Uh, and so uh, you can even take a, a snapshot of that. It's on entrepreneur.com. Uh, there, and it talks about, of course, this is in a secular networking area, but I said, well, hey, Jesus can use that too. And so looking at that, I kind of took some tips on, on how to do that. Uh, and so here's a couple highlights uh, on conversation starter ideas for you in your efforts of talking to strangers. One, just like Jesus did, find something shared. First you notice it, and then you wonder about it. Something shared. Hey, Pastor Dave, those are really nice shoes. I've been looking for some new shoes. Where did you get those? Johnson and Murphy's. Or, you know, hey, do you, do you mind me asking, what kind, of, what kind of food is that? That looks really, really good. I'd like to order it next time. And so find a shared experience. That's why we talk about the weather. Because we're all in it. And we want to talk about something. So how about that weather? You know, find a shared experience. But don't just point it out. But wonder about it hey, do you think it's going to be like this all week? Find a shared experience, point it out, and wonder. Uh, another thing you can do is acknowledge that you're breaking the social norm. You can say, hey, I know we're not supposed to talk to strangers, but... 
hey, I know we're not supposed to talk to strangers, but, you know, your bus stop yesterday was back there, and today you're riding a little bit longer. You know, what, what's going on? Whatever it might be, you found your shared experience, you're going to point it out, you're going to ask about it. But you might even start by, it, it, it de-escalates things or, or lowers people's defenses. Uh, another one that I really, really enjoyed, and I tried this several times, is respond to a normal question in an interesting way. Because you know, at the grocery store, uh, as you're checking out, they say, how are you today? You say, fine, how are you? They say, I'm doing fine. Then they say, your total. And they say, okay, have a nice day. You say, have a nice day, and you walk out. What if they said, how are you today? And you said, I'd say about a 7 out of 10. You know, this is what happened earlier today, which kind of made it a 7, and I'm looking forward to that. How about you? How do you rate your day? And they might say, oh, I guess I'm about a six out of 10. Why is that? Oh, because I, you know, when I, so this happened to me at Starbucks a couple uh, days ago. Uh, I was there. I said, oh, I, found, I read this blog. I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And so they said, How, uh, how's your day? I said, got him, seven out of 10. Thursday, I have Fridays off. We work Sunday to Thursday. So I said, you know, it's my Friday. So I'm just tomorrow off. I'm really looking forward to that. And, uh, and then, she responded and said, oh, that's, that's really cool. Um, you know, my day off is Saturday. Then I said, what do you normally do on your day off? Oh, well, on my day off, I kind of have this other job that I do, and so it's kind of not really a day off because, I'm, uh, you know, I, I do design for this company. Hey, I'm into graphic design. Tell me more about that. And so all of a sudden, what, what could have been a, I'm doing fine, how are you, turned into a total conversation that next thing I know as she's making my drink we're talking about what she wants to do after college and we're talking about things she's passionate about where she moved from what she's thinking about Nashville is she finding community has she found a church home yet well hey you know I work at this church down the street or I go to this church down the street and it, you know if you'd like to uh, ever check it out you know I can give you my contact and, and I can introduce you to my family and and things like that we'd love to have you at our church just because I said seven out of ten so those are just three little conversation starters for you. First to start the conversation, and then you get to the second lap of your 1600, which is ask questions. Ask good questions. In your second lap, when you're running a 1600 or a mile, uh, what you want to do is settle into a comfortable pace. And this is important. Focus on your form, not the finish line. When you're running in the second lap, it is not time to start thinking about the finish line. You are thinking about running with great form because these two, ask questions and listen, are the difference between the street, street corner preacher that's yelling at you about hell uh, and the person who actually might have some compassion and lead you in this conversation towards Jesus. Jesus is constantly speaking in question form. He's constantly doing that, and I think that he might uh, be onto something that uh, truth is so meaningful when we hear it coming out of our own mouth. He's always talking in questions. He says, who do you say that I am? Or he says, who among you is without sin? Let them cast the first stone. Or I love, this is probably my favorite one, after uh, Jesus is uh, dead, buried, resurrected, all the disciples are out fishing, and he says, hey, have you caught any fish? <laughs> he knows the answer, but he's leading them in question form. I, I really love in Luke 24, 
It says in verse 14 through 19, there's these disciples who are really, really discouraged. They're walking away uh, from Jerusalem on the road uh, uh, to Emmaus. And so here it is in verse 14 of Luke 24. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed these things with each other. Jesus himself came up and walked among them, or along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth? And they, uh, they replied, uh, he was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. Jesus doesn't come uh, up and say, guys, you bunch of losers. You should have stayed a couple more days because I'm back, baby. No, he's leading them in this conversation by asking thoughtful questions. Hey, tell me more about that. No, 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 no. I, I, I'd really like to hear you talk more about this. And here we have to realize the difference. Jesus is uh, almighty, omnipotent, knows everything. And so if we ask questions the way Jesus asks questions sometimes because we are not, we can come across a little bit leading or manipulative. And so be careful about that. You know, there's times that God gives you a word of knowledge or word of wisdom. Uh, but just uh, our, our, it needs to be important that our questions are not uh, attached to strings and agendas that we're trying to like lead someone to something. Thing, but just asking meaningful questions. Tell me more about that. Can you help me understand? And Jesus, in this situation, he inquires, he doesn't interrogate. Jesus inquires, or even to make it a little less dramatic word, he doesn't interview. He doesn't interrogate that when we come to this, if we're just treating it like a checkbox and we say, okay, now I'm supposed to ask questions, uh, we get creepy. Christians, like, let's just talk. Christians, we can get creepy sometimes. Like, it's like, oh, yes, tell me more about that. Yes, uh-huh. No, I hear you, uh-huh. And how old were you when that happened? Uh-huh. And uh, what's your deepest, darkest sin? Uh-huh, mm-hmm. And, and so we get weird. Don't get weird. You can just put that along all of your notes tonight. Just don't get weird. Uh, and so it, he inquires. He doesn't interview or interrogate. And the result, just a few verses later, the disciples, when Jesus walks on, they say, man, something was different about that. Didn't our hearts burn when he was speaking? Man, weren't you inspired by the things he was saying, that his questions led to an on-ramp for them to talk about deeper things of God? I love um, someone who's referenced in that article that I really, really would recommend uh, is Georgie Nightingale. She has a company called Trigger Conversations, and she has two quotes. Uh, her conversation, or I'm sorry, her uh, company is all about having conversations with strangers and teaching people how to do that. So two great quotes uh, that she has. Um, one is, the key to talking to strangers, it turns out, is letting go, letting them lead, and then the world opens itself to you. When we ask questions, this is where we get uncomfortable because we're actually putting ourselves in a vulnerable situation, letting them lead the conversation a little bit. Because believe it or not, it goes to this second quote that I love. It says, your job 
as a conversationalist is to help your partner arrive at their own conclusion and surprise you. Not to find out whatever it is, slap a bow on it, and go, next. Your job is to help your partner arrive at their own conclusion and surprise you. Because you're talking to an image bearer of God, how could they not be interesting? Find something they're passionate about. Talk about it. That's why we have small talk as humans, because it's like a metal detector. We're trying to find what's something deeper we could connect on. In that instance, it was, we were just talking, and then we started talking about weekends and oh, graphic design. Oh, I could talk about graphic design for a long time. And so it's like a metal detector. You're scanning for something to talk deeper about, but ask good questions and let them surprise you. And as you ask more meaningful questions, you'd be amazed at some of the conclusions people start to come to as you just let them talk. You feel like you need to convince them that there's a hole in their heart, but if you let them talk enough with the right questions, they realize that, hey, my logic doesn't actually fit in every scenario and that there actually might be something missing. And it's not because some Christian stood up and put it on a sign. You know, it's actually that someone talked them through some of their thinking patterns, asking good questions. It includes open-ended questions. Good questions are open-ended. They're not yes or no. Did you have a good day? Yes or no. Do you like this food? Yes or no. Good questions don't go too deep too quick. They're aware of the comfortability of the other person. And inevitably, when you show interest in someone else, they show interest in you. And when you listen to someone else, they listen to you. If I would have listened better, if I would have asked better questions, I would not have failed my first driver's exam. If I just asked some better questions in driver's ed, I would not have failed my first driver's exam. But we'll get to that in a moment. The third step is to listen. Start a conversation, ask questions, listen, then tell the story. In lap three of your mile, don't get too excited, keep the pace. Don't get too excited, keep the pace. And here in James 1, 19 through 20, uh, it's not talking so much just about evangelism, but who we're supposed to be as Christians, where it says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. This is what separates you from the guy with the megaphone. As I mentioned, I'm not trying to dog somebody. I am sure that uh, there are a lot of well-meaning people who really, really do believe that that's what God is calling them to do, and I'm not here to judge that, but I I think that we're onto something uh, when he says that human anger doesn't produce the righteousness that God uh, is is after, that he desires, that it's not us yelling at people on how they're going to go to hell if they don't change, but showing God's kindness because it says uh, in, in Romans that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Human anger doesn't do that. When you are an active listener, he's just, these are just some freebie tips right here. This is like sort of spiritual, sort of not, uh, but just make good eye contact, you know? Like when you're an active listener, you're looking at them. About 
you know, if you want to get real scientific, don't like think because, you know, then it'll just mess up your conversation. But about 60 to 70 percent of the time, you want to be making eye contact much more than that. You're starting to enter into the weird zone. And we talked about being weird. Christians, don't be weird. 60 to 70 percent, take a break. 60 to 70 percent, check out the car. 60 to 70 percent, what am I drinking at Starbucks? Whatever it is, 60-70% make good eye contact. Don't just think of what you're going to say next because they can tell. Repeat what they're saying to confirm that you're listening and let them set the tone for uh, the volume that you're talking with and what your body language looks like. When you listen, you gain empathy. And that will always lead you to the gospel. When you listen to someone, when you hear what they're passionate about and what hurts and what uh, is exciting for them and what's scary for them, as Christians, that naturally leads us to a gospel conversation because that is the answer. If I had listened better, I would not have failed my first attempt at the driver's exam. Then here we get to the final lap of your mile, which is tell the story. When you're getting close to the finish line, increase your speed incrementally. Incrementally is the key word there, and this is what can make uh, some preachers or evangelists different than others. Uh, some that choose to miss the A and the L, they go straight from the start of the conversation and then tell the story and, and poke you and, and really make you feel bad about yourself. I don't I think I've seen that work yet, but I have not met everyone in the world. Uh, but it, it, here is where it really, the rubber meets the road, because here's the difference between the person who sprints and the person who's running the marathon or the cross-country runner, because the person who sprints, yes, is going to try and get there, but at least they're going to get there. Because over here, if you just start the conversation and you ask questions and you listen and you ask questions and you listen and you ask questions, then I'll see you next time and then we'll meet up for coffee and we'll ask questions and we'll listen and we'll ask questions and we'll listen. I'm not dogging that. I said it is a technique, it's a strategy, not a formula. So I'm not saying this all needs to be one conversation, but at some point you do need to get to the gospel. You do, do need to tell the story of Jesus, but it doesn't need to look like uh, you, you stand up and you say the one that you've memorized and then say you want to get saved. It, it's not just you, you give the paragraph. Uh, I love in Acts 17, Paul gives us a really good example. Acts 17, 23, uh, he is uh, walking through uh, this town and he sees this altar to an unknown God. It, it says, here's an altar to an unknown God. And I can only imagine Paul as a preacher going, I got it. Because he walks in uh, to the courts and, and he says, just in this little clip, he says, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Because he was aware of the context that he was walking in, he preached the gospel specifically in a language that they would understand. If you go straight from starting a conversation to telling the story, you miss the context that's in between. Because when you've done your job right, you can answer the question, what is the bad news to this person? What is the bad news that they're facing? 
Because could it be that there's been too many times someone's brought the wrong good news? It's like the joke, the Geico commercials that, that used to be, uh, well, you know, I have the solution. It says, I just save 15% or more on car insurance by switching to Geico. It's good news for the wrong, for the wrong problem. And so when we uh, have this good news and when we're having this conversation, we need to be thinking and looking for pain points uh, because we answer this question, what does the gospel offer their felt need? What does the, uh, the gospel offer their felt need? What's the point of pain that they have and how does the gospel meet that point of pain? Take the scenic route, not the highway. When you've asked meaningful questions, you can get to the gospel because you care about them, not because you have an agenda. And now you custom tailor the story to your audience. Our job as good news presenters is to help identify the longing in their soul and look for the problem beneath the problem. Look for the source and not just the sore. Look beyond just uh, what is on the surface and go deeper and help them understand that the message of Jesus not only solves their felt need, but solves every need that they have. If you need uh, to take a picture of the slide uh, here that summarizes the gospel, I love how Pastor Rice puts it, uh, where it says the gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God and offering the gift of salvation to those who repent and believe in him. So if you need to, we can leave that up for a second to snap a picture of that uh, because for so many people, when I moved to Nashville, I was a Christian, I loved God, I had never heard of Bethel, been to Bethel, but when I got here and people started saying, do you know the gospel? I I could say, uh, Jesus loves us, he died on a cross, and now we're going to heaven. But not much more than that, to be honest. And and so uh, having just a reference of when we say the gospel, this is the message that we mean. Now, does this mean that when someone uh, comes to this point in this conversation, we say, well, hey, now that we got here, the gospel is the good news that God became man, Jesus Christ lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died in our place, three days later rose again from the dead, proving he's the son of God, offering life and salvation to all those who repent and believe in him. You in? No, that's not going to work. I'm I'm not going to say not going to. God can do anything. It's probably not going to work. But having a framework of saying, okay, what piece of this is really going to provide the thing? As I'm talking to this person, I'm realizing that they really feel like they don't have a purpose in life. Well, here I'm not going to, you know, talk about how the gospel is the, you know, the, the, the cure for their grief that they're facing. No, it's the gospel has a, Jesus has a plan for you. That you're not, uh, you know, shortchanging your existence, that you're not meaningless, that Jesus died because you have value and because he has a plan for you to make a difference in the world. See how that's different than uh, just talking about, no, 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 it's okay. You can get over, you know, your mother passing or you, whatever the, the other situation is. And then you, if you have someone who feels forgotten about, You're talking to them and they feel like I'm just left on the sidelines. Well, now your gospel presentation is, you know, Jesus didn't forget you. That he could have forgotten all of us. He would have been fine in heaven forever, but he didn't forget you. As a matter of fact, he stepped down to earth when he didn't have to. And he took a cross when he really didn't have to so that you could be in a relationship with him. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. 
I'm not talking about uh, the Jesus who's, you know, holding the, the sign of turn or burn. I'm not talking about hippie Jesus that's here or there. I'm talking about the Jesus who left everything because he didn't forget about you. Tell the story in a language they understand that addresses not only the felt need, but the real need. Well, if you haven't heard, I failed my driver's test the first time I took it. Do you want to know why I failed it? I failed it because I stopped at a green light. I stopped at a green light. I mean, you learn that in kindergarten. They say red light, green light, red light. But I was so nervous that I I, I stopped. And so I'm coming up here and I'm done. And I cannot ever forget the guy, the driver's exam guy. He's a little bit bigger, had a mustache. And he he was like, because they don't tell you you failed. They say, turn right turn right. Next thing you know, you're in the parking lot. It's like, this is just so embarrassing. I failed because I stopped at a green light. And the reason I started by saying that the times I fail at evangelism are probably the same reason I failed that is because I think that there's more green lights out there than we realize. And I think that too often when it comes to a gospel conversation, we stop at the green light. That there are people waiting to hear what you have to say, but you assume they're not. There are people who are desperate for hope in this world, but we assume they're fine. What would our church look like if we didn't stop at green lights? What would the stories be that we shared when we come on a Wednesday night What would those stories sound like if we didn't stop at green lights? What kind of testimonies would you be able to share uh, with your friends and with your small group? And and when we come to gatherings like this about all of the green lights you used to stop at, that you realized they were actually waiting for hope. They were waiting for someone to talk to them. They were waiting for someone to notice them. I've been in conversations this week with people that I've seen before that honestly looked fine. I've been in conversations uh, this week with people who I saw on Sunday for the first time and they they looked so happy and so excited to be here and then getting onto the surface, realizing there's so much more going on. How many green lights do you think you've stopped at before? Because I know I've stopped at way too many. That even though that one physical green light just meant that I had to take the test over again, how many spiritual or metaphorical green lights have I just stopped at over and over and over again and you think I would have learned my lesson? But I would argue that there are more green lights than we're even aware of. And so right now as we conclude our time, Let's just close our eyes. Let's just take a moment, and it's, it's actually not more spiritual to close your eyes. It just helps you eliminate distractions and take a self-inventory. And we're just going to ask God, God, what green lights are in my life that I'm not recognizing? 
God, what people in my life do you have that are ready for a gospel conversation, that are ready for me to start the conversation, ask questions, listen, and then tell the story? What people in my life are currently green lights that I'm stopping at? And maybe he's giving you now visions of faces or names. Maybe he's uh, putting in your spirit people you need to talk to. And I would just encourage you to write that down, uh, put it in a note on your phone or however you need to, uh, to take that. And then the second question that I want us to ask and continue to ask is, God, would you send us people and opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with? God, would you send us people and make us aware? I love the William Templeton quote where it says, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. There are people that you'll run into this week that it seems coincidental, but because we prayed right now, it's not. When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. So I would ask you if we were really, really gonna try and make it practical. It it might be a lot to say talk to a stranger every day, but can you sometime this week talk to four strangers? Just talk to four. Maybe it's two in one day and you take a couple days off and one here, one there. When you're at McDonald's in the line, you know, when you're at uh, your favorite coffee shop, your favorite restaurant, when you're at work and there's the person that works in the other department that you don't know but you've seen before and you strike up a conversation, they say, how are you? You say seven out of ten. You say, you know, five out of ten is so-so. Or you ask beyond just where are you from, what do you do? Do you get to know them? Can you talk to four strangers this week? I feel like that's uh, both faith-filled and realistic as we go from this place. I pray that on uh, Sunday that you would not only be there, but you would be there with missional eyes saying, God, you've brought your own image bearers, your estranged sons and daughters that are just waiting to be brought into the kingdom of God. Jesus, show us the green lights this week that we could drive through them for your glory, not so that you love us more, but because you love us so much. God, we thank you and we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen, amen.